Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local City Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope. That this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. I'd love for you to get your notes out today, whether you're here in person or watching online. You can find the notes through the YouVersion Bible app or by texting LOCAL to 97000. But today we're continuing our collection of talks we started last week called God Has a Name. And we've really started to have this conversation because I want to give you, I think one of the best gifts I can give you as your pastor is clarity on who God is. When you think of the word God, it's not just a word. There are names that you ascribe to it because that has, that's how God has chosen to reveal himself to us, with names. And names are very powerful. In our life, names, we have different names in different scenarios, right? Like at my house, in my marriage, my name isn't just Ryan. I have the name of husband, right? Because that's a stage of life that I've stepped into. I have the name of daddy to my sons, I love them so much, and when they use that name, man, it just touches your heart. Here at church, I have the name Pastor Ryan because it describes the leadership that God's given my wife and I to lead this church and serve you as your pastors. When you go to the bank or the doctor's office, you're Mr. Miller, or when you get pulled over by a cop, you're Mr. Miller, and you know how fast you were going today. No, I did not. That's why I got pulled over. If I would have known, I wouldn't have done it, right? And, And so it's one of those things where in all those different areas, The way we're referred changes how we relate to those people that are using that name. And so for us, we have to realize that the name of God is not just something we talk about on Sunday. And it's not something we talk about so seriously. We can have some passion and excitement and joy about it. We can have some peace about it. We can have some simplicity and kindness to understanding the names of God that he's given us. But it's also very, very honoring. It's also something we're very reverent of. Scripture tells us, or historians tell us, that back in ancient Hebrew times, when they would write the name of God, they would literally, before they would write the name of God, they would get up, totally wash themselves, and then step back to their pen and paper or quill or whatever they were using back then. They would write the name of Yahweh, of God, and would go back and wash their hands and wash their body again, and then get back to writing the Scriptures, writing the scrolls because of the reverence that they had of God's name. Because they knew this, the title of today's message, the name above all names. Today, that God and Jesus have the name above every single name in our life. It's the most important name. And we're going to lean into that today. And before I pray and jump into the heart of the conversation, I want to remind you where this whole conversation comes from, because God has told us who he is. I've had some people in my life that have called me the wrong name for years because I had so much social insecurity and awkwardness to correct them. Like I have the name, my name is Ryan, right? I've told you that. I've had a lot of people when I've introduced myself say, oh, Brian, nice to meet you. And I was like, I don't know where you got that B consonant pronunciation because I did not say it, but I don't correct them. And so for years, they're like, hey, Brian, how's it going? Oh, good, man. 
And Adrian would be like, why are they calling you Brian? I'm like, they called me at once, and I just didn't correct them, and now it's been years, and I just can't go back, right? It's such a funny social faux pas that you know me. There's a whole Seinfeld episode about this where the Elaine character is called Susie at work, and she doesn't want to correct her boss, so for years she's known as Susie, as Susan at her work, and it leads to some great Seinfeld-esque jokes. But isn't it funny that we can become so, I don't really want to, you know, what if they get mad that I've let them call me that for so long? Or what if they feel bad? God's like, hey, don't call me that anymore. All right? Here's what my name is. This is what he says in in Exodus 34, 5, and 6. He says, then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. The him is Moses. Because Moses was going through a difficult time. He was leading some people. And as we know, if you've ever been around people, people are very difficult. Help, I work with people, right? I asked Moses, God, help, I work with people. They're horrible. Like, you created them, God. I know, I get it. But, like, did you have to create all of them? Because these, some of these are driving me crazy. He's having a hard time. And actually, Moses is coming out of a moment where he failed, okay? So Moses gets what we've heard before, the Ten Commandments from God. God writes them down. Like, imagine this. You witness God write down Ten Commandments on stone with his finger. You see that happen amazing, powerful miracle. And you walk down and you see your people going cray. Like they are worshiping this golden calf. Your brother's like dancing, leading them. And you're like, what is going on? I just went up the mountain. And he gets so mad. Moses had some anger issues. He threw those tablets down and they broke. And he had to go back up and say, God, uh, I'm going to need some more of those tablets. What happened? These people, God, you just don't get it. They're driving me crazy. And so God begins to instruct Moses, like, okay, let's, let's do this again. You know, it's okay. And Moses says, God, I just, I can't do this if I don't know who you are. I can't begin to go through this burden of leading these people, this overwhelming fear and insecurity that I have to live the way you've called me to. I cannot do this unless you reveal yourself to me, unless you tell me your name so I can tell them who is telling me all this great stuff. I want to see you, God, for who you are. I want to really see you. And God says, well, if you do that, you'll die, so I can't do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hide you behind this rock, and as I pass by, I'm going to shout out my name to you, and you are going to see my back as I pass by, and you are going to experience one of the closest, most intimate encounters that anyone will ever have with me. And this is what God says in verse 6. He says, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. And the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, once again, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. This is the name God has given himself. And it starts with this word, Yahweh. And I just want to do a 30-second recap of this word. What does Yahweh mean? It's the name that God gives himself. And it means this. It applies for every single one of us today. That God was. Whatever brought you in here today, whatever history you have, God was there. He was walking with you. Even if you didn't believe in him, even if it was walking through difficulty or hurt and pain, God was there with you because a father is always there with his kids. And in this moment on a Sunday morning at local city church, God is here in this place. And he is passing by you, calling out his name, desperate for you to turn your face to him. And he is to come. I don't know who holds the future, but I know who holds it. So I don't waste today's energy on tomorrow because that's God's job. And so I trust him. I Yahweh call out his name because God was and he is and he is to come for Moses. He was the God who called him at the burning bush the God who was with him when he has these anger issues and freaking out and wanting to quit, and he was the one who was going to help him be one of the most powerful, miraculous leaders in all of Scripture for the next four years leading these people. 
And for you, I want you to know God was there. He is here. And he's going to be there as we go. So let's believe that today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, we thank you so much that you are the name above all names. And God, we're going to unpack some very important things today. And I pray today would really be freeing for a lot of us. Honestly, God, I would pray two things for us today, for those of us here in person and watching online, that today would be freeing and foundational for our faith journey. God, I pray that you would be with all of our local city kid teachers and leaders back there. Help all of our younger generation fall in love more and more with Jesus as they know he is their very best friend. And God, we're so honored to be in your house today. And God, as a church in Tampa, our Tampa Bay Lightning could use some help, some miraculous intervention over this next week. And so we're praying for that. In Jesus' name, everybody say, come on, give me a good amen, everyone. Come on, come on. And so why I think today, or actually I don't, why I know today can be very freeing and foundational for you is because we're going to lean into a concept of God that is definitely approached the wrong way, but also not thought a lot about. So last week, if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back, check the podcast. We talked about how God is Yahweh, is, was, and is to come, but also how he's compassionate and merciful. In the Bible, when things are written down, the order they are written down is, like, so important. It's not just like, okay, like, stream of consciousness remembering things like your grocery list. It is, this is how important it is in this specific order for these reasons, And so when God says, first and foremost, I'm the God who was and is and is to come, like, no one can question me because that's the God I am. I'm the one creator God. But also, who am I? I'm compassionate and merciful, meaning that I lead with kindness and care for my people. And the next thing he says is that he is slow to anger. And today we are going to unpack what this means. So the first word, slow. He is patient and long-suffering. I love this idea about God because I know for my parents, for my teachers, and yes, for my wife, I need a lot of patience to be dealt with in my life, right? I'm a little stubborn. It's like my way. You know, when I was a kid, I was very energetic and crazy, talked in class all the time. I've told you before, I was the kid, like, that my current teachers warned my future teachers about, like, be ready for this crazy red-haired kid, like, he's insane. Just be ready for him. A lot of anger, Right? But what I love about God is that he's slow to anger, meaning God is so patient. Maybe you're figuring things out right now. Maybe you're figuring things out in your faith. You have some questions. I want you to know God is patient with you. And he's also long-suffering. I like that word. Because it means that God's like, yeah, I know. It's, I'm still giving you chances. It's okay. We're going to long-suffer through this together. God never at any point in our life is going to be like, okay, that's it. You've done it too much. I'm done. That's it. No. Mistake 99, he's still there for you on mistake 100 because he is a good God, and he's slow to anger. I just prayed about the lightning, right? I do that here. If that offends you, that's okay. It's just important on my heart, right? So I'm going to pray about it, uh, but I pray about it in a specific order. It's always the last thing because it's not, you know, very important, but it is to me. But the thing is, last night, I was listening to the game on the radio, and then I, I put my son Shepard to bed, and then I, tu- I tuned back into it when it was tied 3-3. And so I was watching it, you know, because I didn't want to have the radio on. I was watching it just on, like, my ESPN updates, right? And I saw that then the Maple Leafs scored, and they won 4-3 in that sudden death overtime. And I had to be slow to anger because there were two babies sleeping in my house, my 5-year-old and my 7-month-old. As much as I wanted to go, I couldn't do that because... I would, number one, have a little bit of a price to pay with my wife for waking up both boys, and number two, because I want to be slow to anger when things out of my control happen, right? 
But God is always patient. He is always long-suffering. But we have to talk about what he is slow to doing. Anger is a feeling that God has. Why? Because he is devoted to dealing with evil. There are things that make God angry, all right? And I want to serve a God who gets angry. I don't want to serve a God who is so, or believe in a God who is so laissez-faire. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Sure, that's fine. Because we know as humans we are not wired that way. When we see things on the news about someone being hurt or killed or something happening to a child, we get angry and we're supposed to get angry because that is wrong and it's evil. And God is going to deal with it. He is committed to dealing with it. See, time, when Moses was leading the Israelites, Moses was so desperately trying to get the people just to trust God day after day. But they would do it one day, and then they would go through something difficult, and they'd be like, oh, God, you've left us. And in this moment, it, got, it says God would get angry with them because they're forgetting what God had done for them, who he was and who he is in this moment. If he got you through that battle, he's going to get you through this one. If he provided for you in that way, he's going to provide for you again. See, the Israelites walk through something that's in terms like God's passive anger, where it's like, okay, if you want to do that, that's fine. I'm just giving you what you've asked for. When the Israelites wanted to, to believe in the gods of other cultures, he was like, okay, let's see how that works out for you. When they wanted a human king because they didn't want a king they couldn't see in God, they said, okay, well, let's see how that works out for you. There are things that make God angry because there's injustice and evil in the world that he's going to deal with. But what we've talked about in Exodus 34 is that it is the most quoted scripture by scripture, meaning that prophets and kings and Jesus himself and New Testament writers are constantly referring back to Exodus 34. Here's a sample, Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and merciful and what? Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Who is writing this? Glad you asked. The, King David. And King David is going through a time where this, these couple enemies just keep showing up. He keeps defeating them, then they regroup together and come back and fight them again and again. Everyone, anyone ever feel like that in life? Like you feel like you get past one thing, but then it just comes back again in an even stronger sense, or you get through one storm just to go into another, right? Anybody ever been there, right? All right, just me? All right, no, we'll get, we'll get you, we'll get you. The thing is, is David is reminding himself that God is slow to get angry, but at some point, God is going to completely deal with all this evil that's happening. But he is patient, and he suffers with me. And what Moses is so attributed with is writing the, the first five books of the Bible. And the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, talks about how God is the name above all names. That he is, in the beginning, God. One God created this world. Because in Moses' time, the popular intellectual view of what was called the Babylonian worldview was that there were two, God, two gods, they got in a fight, and then the one god made the earth, made that god's body into the earth to be punished forever, blah, blah, blah. That was popular belief back then. And so when Moses comes up and says, nope, there's only one god, it was a huge deal. One god created everything that you see. One god is attributed all of this. It was in the beginning, God, period. That's it. He is outside space, time, and matter. So Moses, in his first book that he wrote, deemed it very important to let us know it's only about the one God. And then he tells us in Exodus, when he's cataloging all the trials that he went through, so that the Lord is also compassionate. That one God is compassionate and merciful. And he puts in slow to get angry. Why? 
Well, if you ever study things about Roman gods and Greek gods, every person that believed in those gods, all they were focused on was not making that god angry. That's what sacrifices were about. We can't make this god angry because we won't have a harvest. We can't make the god of rain angry because it won't rain. We can't make the god of sun angry because we won't have any sun. And so when Moses writes to the people who are reading this, wait a minute. This God you're talking about is slow to get angry? He's not immediately angry when we don't do things right? Yes. The Hebrew word uh, for this phrase for slow to anger is Eric Ariam. Now, what does that Hebrew word mean? It literally means that, this, that God is someone who has a long nose. So if you're insecure about your nose, God has a long nose. You're good, all right? So you're just following the created in God's image, right? That was a joke. We can laugh a little bit more, I guess. But, um, <laughs> but what does it mean? It means that when you get angry, how many of you guys have ever been angry before? All right, there we go. Oh, there we go. Hello. Well, good morning, local city. Good to see you. Like, we get been angry before, right? Whether we've been cut off in traffic or we've watched something in the news that's made us angry, we get mad, right? Well, in Hebrew times, the, the concept of anger was the same thing as, like, seeing someone's face get red, right? Seeing red, it means you're super angry. All you can see is that fiery anger inside of you. Well, when to say God was someone of long nose wasn't calling God Pinocchio. It was saying that it takes God's face a long time to get fully red because he's long in the nose. I know you didn't know you were going to Bible school today, but I got you. And, and the, that was freeing for them to know that. It was freeing for them to know that they had a God who was slow to get angry. That God was patient and long-suffering, but he is 100% committed to dealing with the evil that is out there. And sometimes I think it's so important that we take a deep breath and just really ask ourselves, what am I calling God in my life? What have I believed about God that I need to erase? What are you waiting on God to tell you that he's actually already tell, told us and I'm trying to tell you today about? Here's the thing about God that I want you to realize. This comes from the New Testament, 1 John 4, 8 and 10. It says, but anyone who does not love does not know God, but God is love. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, God, first and foremost, the characteristic identity, again, he wants you to know, is one of love, compassion, and mercy. He is love. He gets angry. Big difference. Because we have, some of us have grown up believing, I know I did, growing up in a very hard-nosed religious community, that God's always angry. He's always upset with you. And my job is to get him to not be angry with me. But what's the order? The name above all names says he is compassionate and merciful first. But also he's slow to get angry. So really, the first posture approach I can have with God is knowing that he is arms wide open, welcoming and caring. And yes, he's going to deal with some stuff in my life that's made him angry, but it's slow and he's going to help me out. He's got a long nose. He's not going to get to this I'm done with you red face. Because he is love. He gets angry, but he is love. I mean, think about it this way, we're, we, we, we wait for God to have that exact thing that we're waiting for. But sometimes I think it's so simple. Anybody ever been to Starbucks before, right? Okay, some of us, no, probably all of us. Like, we've been to Starbucks before, and I think it's one of the places where names really come into play. Because I have never seen anyone spell my name the way Starbucks baristas spell my name, right? Like, where did this I come from and this random O in there? Like, R-Y-A-N, dude. Like, Adrian's is even worse. Like, they have never gotten it right. Like, they, they always mess her name up. And if you got a weird name, they're probably, maybe they're doing it on purpose, but they're always messing up our names, right? 
But here's what happens if you go to Starbucks, they, they take your order, right? What's your order? Say, okay, give me your name for the order so they can put it in like the little coffee cup queue of all the drinks they have to make. Now, I will tell you that I'm a very boring coffee drinker because my order is very simple and boring. Adrian gets what I have now told our coffee shop. She's going to do her vloat today, her vanilla latte with oat milk. Very nice, and I came up with that myself, I think. No, I didn't. I stole it from somewhere. But my order is I just want a black coffee, no room, no cream, no sugar, right? And so I tell, I tell the barista that it's at Starbucks that, I say, hey, black coffee, no room, no cream, no sugar. Okay, can I get a name for the order? Oh, hold on. No need for the name. Just turn around, fill it up, turn back around, I'll be right here. Like, there's no need to put that cup in the little coffee cup queue, okay? Because I know if you do, I'm going to be waiting here for like 10, 15 minutes. I'll even walk around and just fill it up and bolt out of here. And that's the th- it just drives me crazy. I'm like, just turn around, fill it up, give it back to me. That's one of the reasons I do the boring order, because I don't want to wait. I don't want them to get it wrong, right? And I think the same thing is we, we are, the simplicity of, of approaching God is the same way. We're like, okay, you know, God, here's what I want. Boom, 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 boom. All right, I'll wait. Where when you just clearly know, and sometimes it's just simple and mundane and bare, dare I say boring, just say, God, I know this is who you are. This is what I want. This is what I need, and I know it's who you are. You are a God who is compassionate and merciful and slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. So can you just turn around, grab all that of who you are already, and I'm just ready here to receive it. It doesn't have to get in line. I don't have to wait. I don't have to wait for someone else to do it. I can simply receive the beauty and simplicity of the name above all names who is compassionate, merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness because God wants to have a significant but simple and specific relationship with you that can be given to you at the moment if you would just receive it and realize God is who he says he is. Come on, we can give some thanks to that today. God is love. He gets angry. This is important to know. And I'm fired up about this message today because I believe it speaks to us in a very real cultural sense right now. I have a couple, uh, I told you I'm taking you to school a little bit today. Got some charts for you. I love a good chart. Helps me see things. And so the first chart I want to show you is what was going on in the universalism sense. Now Moses is speaking to a community at this time outside of the Hebrew world that is dealing with what's called universalism or polytheism. Theism means God, and whatever you put before that describes that. So universalism meant all gods are the same. Polytheism meant there are many different gods. And all of humanity's historical fights has been about how do we get to God? How do we make God happy? How do we not make God angry? How do we appease God so that he blesses us? And it begins to take this little mountainous triangle shape of whatever I am doing to get to God. I want to free you from that type of faith journey in your life. That it's not about just coming to this building or cracking open your Bible or giving whatever it is. It's not going to appease God because that's not what God is about. But the more we have this universalism approach where, okay, God, I guess i got to do these things to make you happy. But, you know, as long as things are good across the board, it's it's all the same. It's all good. And back then, there were so many different gods that people were sacrificing to and devoting their lives to. It became so universal. I want you to know today what we talk about here is not universal. It's very specific. And it's very true. We are not a universalism idea approach to faith. We are not a polytheistic approach to faith. We believe there is one God, there is one Jesus, and there is one way to spend eternity with him and have a relationship with him. So we've moved to what's called monotheism. 
Mono means one. Theism means God. See? One God. And so we believe that there is only one God that we are trying to focus on. It's not the God of Hinduism or Buddhism. It's not an atheistic approach to life. It's not the God of Islam. There is one God, and he is the God of the Bible. There is one God, and he is our Heavenly Father. Just like Moses said, in the beginning, this God, no one else, this God above all gods. I read a psalm for you earlier. Countless times in the psalms, whether it's Moses or David or another author, uses phrases like, this is the God who is in charge of all the other ones. This is the God of all gods. This is the one who all the other gods bow to. There is no one who has power over the God of the Bible. And we are devotedly focused on him. And it's the biggest mountain in the chart for a reason. Because all these other religions, they're just that. Religions is man attempts, a man's attempt to get to God. That's all it is. It's a man's attempt to describe and get to God, which is why we have so many different versions of it. But may I be so bold as to tell you we don't have a version, we have the truth. May I tell you today that we don't have something that is not historically proven. It is, it's accurate, it's factual, and you can stand on it as strong as I'm standing on this stage today. And it's about to realize there is only one God, and everything else is false. Not that we have this approach of like, hey, get with the program, we know what's up. It's like, hey, I just so desperately want you to know the truth to know the God that I know that's compassionate and merciful and slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Everything else is just not true. But this will never let you down. Now, you look up there and you see these false gods and you're like, yeah, I've never had to deal with the temptation of spiritualism or Islam or Buddhism. And maybe you've come out of that and awesome. But I believe there are also other things we have to realize in the 2023 lens about looking at monotheism is this way. Gods of relativism, what does that mean? It's all relative, there's no absolute truth. This phrase is not biblical and you should not use it. Well, that's just my truth, doesn't work. There is only the truth. You have your experience, but that doesn't change the truth. And these things I begin, I begin are leaning culturally into the other side of that slow to anger phrase. Why? Because God gets angry when people hurt his kids. God gets angry when evil hurts his kids. And these things are doing that. Individualism. A lot of what I see on social media is love me, accept me, the way I am. Like that's, you, you, you know, no, no, I'm right. You're wrong. Like you got to get around who I am. I don't, have to, I don't have to appropriate to you. It's the worship of self. I'll just got to be honest, I hear this phrase a lot, and I don't think it's the greatest thing we need to be focused on. I hear a lot about self-care. It's good, it's healthy, but if it begins to take the place of savior care, where you're really about Jesus caring for you and taking care of you and helping you and changing you, what are we doing? Sexualism. It's bad. I want nothing to do with it. and I want nothing to do with its voice over the lives of my kids at all. I'm not getting political, I'm getting biblical with you. And, I, and I'm dealing with this myself, and I've prayed about this, and I want you to know God hates this stuff. Because we are not sexual beings first and foremost. We're spiritual. And as much as I love Adrian with every ounce of my being, my life and identity is not about who I love. It's about who loves me. And you've got to lay the, we've got to get rid of these lowercase gods in our life. And we can't let our, our friends walk through it. Politicism. God is not a God of political sides. Not at all. Jesus was crucified in the middle, so we're going to walk the middle. We're going to figure it out. And the church has to stand its ground on some of this stuff. 
And we got to get angry about some of the evils that we see. Why? Because, again, we're not trying to build our Christian mountain and monolith so that others can see how great we are. This is the better and true way to think about what I've told you about with monotheism. It's that Yahweh came down through Jesus, and it's greater than any other possible thing that humans could come up with. It's that God came down to us and made a way so that we could get back to him. That's the only thing that matters. And it's not a way, it's a person who said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he has a name. We can give it up for that. I know that was heavy. But here's the, here's the thing. It's not just that Jesus is the only way to God. He is. But it's better because it's Jesus is the only God who came to us. He's the only way because he's the only one who came. I know it's heavy, I know it's hard, but if we can't get, get this stuff, the culture and the evil voices in our life are going to sway us. And here's what, again, Moses and the authors of the New Testament, they're all marrying this stuff. I want you to know, okay, it's not like the God of the Old Testament is some vindictive villain that's like, oh, he's the bad guy, he's always angry. And then Jesus is like this Mr. Rogers version of God to come along and be like, hey, won't you be my neighbor? I love you all. That may have been his posture, but it's not who he was. Jesus, in one of my favorite instances of him, comes into the temple and starts flipping some tables. Because why? Man and religion and their own beliefs of isms had gotten in the way of people accessing God. They were stealing from them and making them do things to step into God's presence that were not God's heart at all. And Jesus, again, remember he's slow to anger? He didn't just react, right? He was slow to anger. What did that mean? I mean, he had seen this. He was always about his dad's business, about God's business. He was in God's house since he was 12 years old. So for almost 20 years, he had seen this abuse and this despicable stuff happening in his house. And by the time he was getting ready to give his life, he was like, enough, all right? I've given you 20 years to figure it out. But you've got to get this stuff out of the house of God because my father's house is one of prayer and one of presence and one of focus on caring for people and helping them see the love and truth of the God that loves them. So he flipped some tables and said, uh-uh, not anymore. I love that about Jesus because Jesus is not just the stained glass picture of him we have where he's like, hmm. No. He had some fiercity about him. And we got to believe that. If you ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, the, the savior character, Shepard has, has been reading that the kid's version of that book with him. It's been awesome. And one of the things that it says in that book is, yes, he's a lion. So we got to have some reverence that he's a lion. But he's approachable and he's kind. Still a lion, still roars, but he's approachable and he's kind. What I'm trying to do for you is to build a reverence again for that name above all names. Let me give you a verse real quick, and then we'll begin to close. John 1, 1, 14, talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, I want to have you like draw some circles around some things here in these two verses real quick. Because back in Exodus, Moses writes this in chapter 40, just a few, a few chapters after his mountain experience. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of God filled the dwelling. The cloud of God was over the dwelling during the day, and the fire was in it at night, visible to all the Israelites and all their travels. Let me give you just what's going on here. The glory of God was revealed in a cloud at this time, and it guided the Israelites where they were supposed to go. Where Moses would meet with God consistently was called the dwelling place, the tent of meeting. Very important language if you grew up Jewish at this time and you grew up remembering these historical testimonies of what God was doing with his people. 
If we go back to John 1, 14, here's how we see God and Jesus, Father and Son, the name above all names, have been married together, and the plan has been from the beginning. Go to, back to John 1, 14 for me. What does it say? It says, the word became flesh, became human, came down, Yahweh came down as his son, and made what? His dwelling, his human version of the tent of meeting among us. And we have seen his glory. It's not some figmentation of a cloud that we can't fully understand. It has a face, it has a posture, it has a personality, and it is walking among you today as Jesus, the Son of God, once again, full of grace, mercy, and truth, and unfailing love and faithfulness. So the name of God in Exodus is demonstrated in the personification of his Son, Jesus, in the Gospel of John. It is God the Father, God the Son, the Old Testament, working with the New Testament to remind us there is one God, there is one truth, and there is one name above all names. If you agree with that, come on, give me a shout that you're out there today, if you're hearing me. Let me give you some things as we begin to close. Number one is that in Jesus, we see that the anger of God is born out of his love. If I can be vulnerable with you today, I got to tell you, local city, I have turned into the old dad on the street corner yelling at fast cars. Why? Because now I have a son who is learning how to ride his bike in these streets. And I'm not going to let someone drive by and possibly hurt him without getting an earful from, no, you know, very censored, very pure. But I'm going to let him know, slow down, man. My son is driving his bike in this road. And sometimes they yell back, and I'm like, come on, bro. That's okay. I got God on my side. And I would much rather you know that what you're doing is wrong and could hurt my son than just, oh, it's okay. He's, he must be in a rush. It's okay, Shepherd. You just grazed the front of your bike tire. He's in a rush. It's okay. I don't care where he's going. I don't care what he's doing because what he's doing is about to hurt my son. I don't care about all these other prideful moments or idolatries or isms. He cares that they're going to hurt his kids. And Jesus came to show us that God's anger is actually born out of love. He is love. He feels anger. And so God was so angry at sin and so angry at Satan and the enemy, he was like, nope, I got to take care of this. And because of Jesus, evil and the work of Satan is, is, is destroyed. When we sing about the name of Jesus, darkness trembles, oh, it definitely does. Because it walked out of the dark grave alive. When the enemy thought they had won, as the song says, when the enemy thought they had me, Jesus said, you are mine. Evil and the work of Satan destroyed. And here's what I want to encourage you with today. Romans 8, 37. No, despite all these things, I don't know what all your things are, but despite every single one of them, overwhelming victory is ours and is yours through Jesus who loved you. Overwhelming victory. When's the last time we said that we have overwhelming victory? My natural response is, oh man, I'm just overwhelmingly busy. I'm overwhelmingly stressed. My kids are crazy right now. I'm overwhelmed, God. When's the last time you're like, despite all these things, I'm overwhelmingly victorious in this moment because of Jesus, because of the Yahweh who sent down his son Jesus, because of the name above all names that is working in me and working alongside me. Why? Because again, the followers of Jesus told us in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. No other name will you find salvation. So I want you to have the gift of that clarity of truth today.
that it's only about Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It only will ever be Jesus. And he is the name above all names. So let me give you the practicals quick today. Our job is this. Number one, to stand in that victory. Don't stand defeated. Don't stand in pride. Don't stand in self. Don't stand in these other popular isms of culture today. Stand in the victory of Jesus. Because no other person, no other idolatry, no other belief system, no other celebrity or musician gave their life for you. Jesus did. And you can stand in that victory today with a, with a prayer by just turning in his direction. And then you got to hold your ground. I'm just going to be honest with you, church. we got to hold our ground ain't giving the line away. I ain't crossing the line. This is the truth. This is what God says. And I would much rather have some humans get mad at me than have God get angry with me for not standing in the victory, not holding my ground. I love the third one. We got to cooperate with heaven's invasion of earth. I love that language because we see a lot of, again, evil things and difficult things invading society and culture today, but we got the one thing that is the only thing people need, and it's the powerful name above all names of Jesus. So what does God, let me just challenge your local city, what does God get angry about? When we have people in the office next to us, or in our neighborhoods, or the person behind us in line at the coffee shop, or family that are going through difficult things, or are believing these lies, and are giving their life to them, God gets angry when his kids, when his followers, when people who have built his church say, ah, they'll be okay, right? Well, is it really my job to tell them? Yes. Because if someone, if my son was going to walk into the road and there was a truck coming, I, was, I would tell him to get out of the way. There are people in your life that desperately need some truth, that def- desperately need to encounter the name above all names, and you need to let them know, hey, that's bad for you. And I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm broken just like you. But I have given my life to the name above all names, and I stand in victory today, and I got to hold my ground. I can't get watered down. I can't compromise. I can't let go, and I got to cooperate with the fact that God wants the good news of Jesus to invade the earth, and if I can carry that gospel message to my family, my friends, and my coworkers, I'm going to do it because it's the only one, the name above all names. So how do you live now? Here you go, real quick, real simple. You worship that name. Worship that name. Not the name of anything that you see on social media or your own name or the name of success or a business. Worship that name, the name of Jesus. Because you know what Jesus said? All the religious leaders are like, hey, you got to tell these people to be quiet. This is God's house. Shh. And he's like, well, if they don't do it, the rocks will cry out. So give or take. Would you rather have rocks screaming or people? <laughs> Worship that name. Worship Jesus. And the second thing is what we do as local city is to close the gap one step at a time. I'm not telling you you're going to wake up tomorrow and all this stuff is going to be figured out. No. Actually, the opposite is true. But close the gap between where you are and where God is calling you one step at a time. One step at a time. It's funny how quickly we can get, get so angry at something and we can get so angry at good things. Here's my object lesson as we close. Read this little headline that I wanted to share with you today. <laughs> if you remember this moment as a Floridian. You know what's funny about this? 
Now, again, I was laying with Shepard in bed, and it was, what, 4.45? Ah! What is that? And he's like, is everything okay? I'm like, I don't know. Oh, a test. Great. Go back to sleep, right? You know what's funny about this? It's how many people I saw on social media saying, hey, here's how you turn those off. Hey, you know that thing that's going to let us know when, like, a bomb is coming? Here's how you turn that off. Hey, hey, here's that. You know that thing that helps us know when a kid's been kidnapped to be on the lookout for him? Here's how you turn that off. Local city, how many times have we said, hey, you know that thing that God's calling you to do? Here's how you turn that off. Hey, here, here, that thing where you need to pray for that person that's going through something at your work, even when you feel afraid, here's how you turn that off. Because if I don't know about it, I know why does it matter. I, I, I didn't get the alert. Yeah, so that, yeah. So that kid just walked right by you. And it told you exactly what he looked like. They told you the car he was in, gave you the license plate. And you just, I'd rather be inconvenienced at 4.45 a.m. every single day of my life and not miss someone in my path who I can introduce to the name above all names. It's not about me. I don't care about me. I care about my wife. I care about my kids. I care about you. I'll lose some sleep over helping someone see Jesus. I'll wrestle with some of these things, but ultimately land on the fact that I'm going to stand in the victory of Jesus and hold my ground today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Local City Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local City Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to localcity.church/give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.